Hi, everyone. Justin Hibbert here from Why Catholic. Before I begin today's episode, I want to say thank you. Today marks the one-year anniversary of the Why Catholic podcast. Many of you have listened to every episode along the way. I really appreciate the texts, the emails, and your notes on social media. This podcast has been a labor of love, 57 episodes representing 286 pages of script, and I'm happy to report that none of it was done by ChatGPT. I have been extremely blessed by doing this podcast. I've learned a ton, and I hope this podcast has been a blessing to you as well. I also want to personally thank all of you who have supported this podcast by being a generous patron or by purchasing something from the Y Catholic shop on Etsy. I couldn't do this without your support. Thank you for your donations as well as your prayers. God bless you. In the early to mid-1800s, there was a famous parish priest named John Villani who served in the tiny town of Ars, France. Known for his sermons, catechetical instruction, and his ability to read the hearts of individuals, tens of thousands would flock to Ars to consult Father Villani. In the later years of his life, the confessional line became so long that Father Villani would spend as much as 16 hours a day listening to confessions. One day, a widow came to see Father Villani. She was devastated. Her husband had jumped off a bridge and committed suicide, and she was distraught at the thought that he had gone to hell. When she approached the confessional line, she became discouraged. It was hours long. Around the time she considered leaving, Father Villani came out of the confessional, looked at the woman, and exclaimed, He is saved! The woman was incredulous, so the priest repeated, stressing each word, I tell you, he is saved. He is in purgatory and you must pray for him. Between the parapet of the bridge and the water, he had time to make an act of contrition. The woman's worst fear was put to rest. Her husband wasn't in hell. He was in purgatory. Somehow this parish priest not only knew that information, but he knew the heavy burden of this woman in the confessional line before she had even said a word to him. She had spent many, many years praying for her husband when he was alive, and Father Villani made it clear that her prayers were needed now that he was in purgatory. Hi, this is Justin Hibbert, and you're listening to Why Catholic, my podcast about the what and why of Catholicism. Since episode 51, we've been focusing on the phrase, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Specifically, we've been honing in on this idea of the communion of saints. The one universal church does not just refer to our communion with other Christians on earth. Rather, that communion extends beyond time and space, and we are in communion with all Christians of all times. If you hadn't had a chance to listen to episodes 51 through 53 and episode 55, you may want to do that before listening to this one. Because I try to keep these episodes to around 17 minutes, I break down these large concepts into smaller ones that build off of each other episode by episode. Today, I want to tackle the question, why do Catholics pray for the dead? And to answer it, I want to allude to concepts from previous episodes. As many of you know, I spent 39 years as a Protestant Christian. We thought of this idea of praying to the dead as bizarre. When someone died, we thought they were either in heaven or in hell. Therefore, no amount of prayers were going to do any good. Their eternal destination was set. When someone died, we never prayed for that individual. Rather, we prayed for those surviving friends and family and for their comfort as they mourned their loss. The reason Catholics pray for the dead is because we have a more nuanced understanding of the afterlife. 
First, as we discussed in episode 46, Catholics believe in purgatory. Purgatory is a stopping place before heaven. It's for those who die in a state of grace but still need to be cleansed prior to entering heaven. In heaven, after all, we'll be joining the great banquet feast called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. What do we do before a wedding? We wash ourselves, get cleaned up, and put on fancy clothes. In the same way, we must be divinely dressed for this wedding. We don't know how long purgatory lasts or what it all entails, but in using the word purgatory, where we see the word purge, we believe it's a process whereby we detach ourselves from our unholy addictions in preparation to enter the kingdom of heaven. Secondly, to understand why Catholics pray for the dead, it's important to understand the communion of saints, which I talked about in episode 52. As I mentioned earlier, the idea of the Catholic, meaning universal, church is that it extends beyond time and space. Hebrews 12.1 says, quote, We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, end quote. By witnesses, the author of Hebrews is talking about saints in heaven. And in Revelation 5.8, we see that the saints in heaven are carrying the prayers of Christians on earth to the throne of God. Therefore, as I discussed in episode 51, there is a cooperation between the kingdom of heaven and us pilgrims here on earth. The third aspect we must understand is that God equips his people to serve the church. This is discussed extensively in 1 Corinthians, particularly in chapter 12. God gives each of us gifts or charisms to edify the body of Christ. The body of Christ isn't just the church on earth, it is the collective body of Christians throughout all time. And so as we saw in episode 55, the use of charisms can benefit those in another realm. For example, saints in heaven may use their charisms to benefit saints on earth. As St. Dominic said before his death, quote, Do not weep, my children. I shall be more useful to you where I am going than I have ever been in this life. End quote. Furthermore, Christians on earth may use their charisms and their prayers to benefit those in purgatory being prepared for sainthood. The fourth thing to understand is the mystical nature of Christianity, which I also discussed in the last episode. God is outside of our constraints of time and space. We experience time linearly, whereas we might suppose that God experiences time infinitely. Every moment of our past, present, and future may be a present moment in God's experience. Therefore, when we enter into the spiritual realm, such as mass or praying, we are communing with a being who is outside of our time. In a sense, our spiritual moment and posture becomes a portal of sorts, whereby our experiences and petitions can be supernaturally imposed on any moment past, present, and future, because God has that capability. Therefore, we can pose the theological question, can we pray for something in the past? I think the answer is yes. God, who knows what's going to happen in the future, knows that we would pray for something in the past, and therefore he applied our prayers to our past, knowing that we would petition him in our future. It's a little weird to think about, but it makes sense when we consider the omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence of God. The fifth concept to understand is praying to the saints. Really, it would be better said asking the saints for intercession. We dove into this topic in episode 53. Those saints in heaven are in close proximity to the throne of God. Therefore, knowing that there is a communion between us pilgrims on earth and those saints in the presence of God, we ask them to pray for us in the same way we ask faithful Christians on earth to pray for our needs. And because saints in heaven aren't dead, as though they've lost their memories and faculties, it's reasonable to think that they're in heaven interceding on our behalf. We can imagine them like kids sitting on Santa's lap and saying, Jesus, could you help my son or my daughter or my friend on earth? 
When we apply these five principles, we can see why the Catholic Church teaches that we can and should pray for those in purgatory. They are experiencing a sort of detox. Detox can be hard, and they need our prayers. Praying for the dead is also found in the Bible. Now let's take a look at 2 Maccabees chapter 12. This recounts the Maccabean revolt, the battles and war led by Judas Maccabees to free the Jewish people from the tyranny of the Assyrians. Picking up in verse 37, it says, quote, Judas rallied his army and went to the city of Adullam. As the seventh day was approaching, they purified themselves according to custom and kept the Sabbath there. On the following day, since the task had now become urgent, Judas and his companions went to gather up the bodies of the fallen and bury them with their kindred in their ancestral tombs. But under the tunic of each of the dead, they found amulets sacred to the idols of Jamnia, which the law forbids the Jews to wear. So it was clear to all that this was why these men had fallen. They all therefore praised the ways of the Lord, the just judge who brings to light all the things that are hidden. Turning to supplication, they prayed that the sinful deed might be fully blotted out. The noble Judas exhorted the people to keep themselves free from sin, for they had seen with their own eyes what had happened because of the sin of those who had fallen. He then took up a collection among all his soldiers, amounting to 2,000 silver drachmas, which he sent to Jerusalem to provide for an expiatory sacrifice. In doing this, he acted in a very excellent and noble way, inasmuch as he had the resurrection in mind. For if he were not expecting the fallen to rise again, it would have been superfluous and foolish to pray for the dead. But if he did this with a view to the splendid reward that awaits those who had gone to rest in godliness, it was a holy and pious thought. Thus he made atonement for the dead, that they might be absolved from their sin." End quote. To summarize what this passage was saying, Judas Maccabees and his army decided to bury those Jewish people who had died in battle. However, when they were preparing the bodies, they noticed that they all had idols in their possession, and they assumed this is the reason they died in battle. So Judas was concerned that this grave sin of idolatry for these fallen soldiers would lead to their condemnation. So they prayed for their behalf and provided a donation for a sacrifice on the behalf of the deceased asking God to forgive their sins of idolatry. In Judaism, there are a couple of prayers for the dead. One is called a Yiskur, the other is a part of the Kaddish, which is said as a group for the merit of the deceased. We see this here in the story of Judas Maccabees. Now, a Protestant might push back and say that 2 Maccabees is not in the Bible. Well, it's not in their Bible. It was a part of the canon of scripture proposed by Athanasius in 367 and affirmed at the Council of Rome and various councils afterwards. In the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century, Protestants such as Martin Luther started questioning the historic canon of scripture. In fact, had Martin Luther gotten his way, the Protestant Bible would likely not include books like James and Revelation. As part of reforming the canon of scripture, they called into question the deuterocanonical books of the Bible. In fact, the earliest Protestant Bibles didn't actually omit the deuterocanon. They added them as an appendix at the end called the Apocrypha. Over time, the Apocrypha, which includes 1st and 2nd Maccabees, was not included in Protestant Bibles. We'll go into much more depth on this topic at a later time. However, if you're interested in learning more about this, I have a fantastic resource in the show notes from the Coming Home Network called A Protestant Guide to Catholic Bibles. However, in a nutshell, it's hard to take the Protestant claim of sola scriptura seriously when Protestants have basically cut out sections of scripture. If they hadn't, 
they might also have incorporated praying for the dead in their practices because Judas's act of praying for the dead isn't just recorded in 2 Maccabees 12, it's celebrated. In fact, it's tied to his understanding of the resurrection, and as Christians, we believe in the resurrection. Allow me to make a little side note here. The Jewish people were divided on the topic of the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, whereas the Pharisees, the more orthodox sect, did. Now, Christians often think of Pharisees negatively because of the conflicts that Jesus had with them, but it's important to remember that many Pharisees, like Nicodemus, later became followers of Jesus. Jesus' teachings on the resurrection would have jived with the Pharisees in a way that they wouldn't have with the Sadducees. And so in 2 Maccabees 12, the author of Maccabees is presenting commentary that faithful Jews should believe in the resurrection. And this is the entire reason for praying for the dead. If they weren't going to rise from the dead, then praying for them would be pointless. Likewise, it's important we understand that death is not the end. The New Testament, which was mostly written by St. Paul, a Pharisee who converted to Christianity, talks extensively about the resurrection of the dead. When we die, we don't lose our faculties. We don't lose our sense of self. We become more alive. Therefore, praying for the dead, praying for those souls in purgatory is not useless because we, like Judas Maccabees, believe in the resurrection of the dead. How long should we pray for those in purgatory? The answer is indefinitely. While the church has a process of canonization to proclaim that someone has become a full saint in heaven, it doesn't presume to know everyone is in heaven. Thus, we have celebrations like All Saints Day. There are likely far many more saints that are in heaven that don't officially have saint in their name. We don't know how long someone will be in purgatory prior to going to heaven, and because time is different on the other side of this life, I think it might be a mistake to think of someone's stint in purgatory in the term of years, as in, I'll pray for them for 10 years because that's how long they'll be in purgatory. Furthermore, as I mentioned earlier, prayer exists outside of time because God exists outside of time. Therefore, we might say that our prayers in our present moment and in our future moments might have been applied to someone's stay in purgatory, even though at our present moment, they are in heaven. Putting the metaphysics aside, the bottom line is that those who have died still need our prayers because we never cease to need the power of God. Even when we go to heaven, we don't stop living and moving and having our being in Christ. We will always be animated by him. Therefore, to ask God to apply his strength to a person is always appropriate. Likewise, it is always appropriate to ask someone to pray for us, including asking those in heaven for their intercession. Let me end by emphasizing a point that I did in the last episode. God, being a communal being of three persons, has also created us for community. Thus, he longs not to just bring us closer to him, but to also bring us closer to each other. One of Jesus' dying wishes, which he prayed for in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest, was that his followers would be one as he and the Father are one. Thus, to move towards that unity is, in a sense, to move towards God. And to move towards disunity and disharmony is to move away from him. When we pray for each other, we grow in that unity. And we strengthen the bonds of the communion of saints. 
Thank you for joining me for Why Catholic. Be sure to subscribe to Why Catholic wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also subscribe to my Substack site and get the next episode in your email inbox. As a subscriber, you get a special discount code to the Why Catholic Etsy store. If you've been blessed by this podcast and you're feeling generous, there's also a way to financially support it, and patrons get some extra perks. To become a free subscriber or a patron, just go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe. Also join me on Instagram at whycatholicpodcast, all one word. Thanks again for listening. My name is Justin Hibbard, and this is Why Catholic. God bless you.